Well, if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. How are you, Westside? Great to be with you. Online community, hello, Speedway Campus. Uh, this is fun. I want to jump right into a quote that uh, a client of mine shared. This is something she has posted in her office. Check this picture out. Tell me if it doesn't make sense to you. Growth and comfort do not coexist. They don't go together. This makes sense, doesn't it? You go to the gym, do growth and comfort. Do they coexist? Uh, academics, growth and comfort go together. Uh, marriage? I mean, when does that ever work? And what's more uncomfortable than this, the uncharted journey, where you go, there's no map for this. There's no GPS for this. This is not something I've ever done or thought I would enter into, right? And and there's all sorts of examples, but you just think about it. It's like, okay, well, you're comfortable here, but then you take your first step or that step comes to you. And uh, the hope is that on the other side, you're going to come out having a little bit experienced enough to become actually a different person. Growth and comfort, they don't coexist, and you go on this uncharted journey in between, and for all of us, this could look different. Maybe you lived in one city where you were known and everything felt comfortable, and then you were called and relocated to a new one where you know nobody. Maybe you were single, you really liked your singleness, and you were kind of on cruise control, but then you met somebody and they were interested, and the next thing you know, you say, I do. Growth and comfort do not coexist. Maybe you had 11-year-old daughters who really liked having you around, and soon they're 14. (laughs) It's an uncharted journey. Maybe you were married, and now you're single again, and not by your choosing. Maybe you were healthy, and there's symptoms that have led to a diagnosis Maybe you've had your life and you were comfortable in it, but you know it really wasn't working and you've heard about following Jesus and you know there's this uncharted journey to go, what would it look like to actually begin to practice faith and following him? All of us find ourselves in one way or another in an uncharted journey right here, right now. What is it for you? What uncharted journey are you on? Just want you to think about that. Now, collectively, we're, we're all going to go on one together. As recent and as soon as on the 28th of this month, for example, we're going to come together for our Thanksgiving offering. One of the things that we celebrate together and have always cherished, we go, God, we want to go on this, and it's going to require financial commitments, and it's going to take this uncharted journey to, to go across it. And then in January, if you listen to Pastor Randy's sermon, Last week, which was absolutely fantastic, where he kicked this whole series off, in January, in the first part of February, we're going to go on 40 days of prayer and fasting to seek individually for us, what is that uncharted journey? And then collectively, God, what do you have for us that you want us to go off script, off grid, in an uncharted charted space? And my wife and I, we were praying about it. Actually, she was the one that started praying, and, and her prayer sounded like this. She said, God, I know Pastor Randy's called us on this uncharted journey, and, and we want to really kind of think, what is that for us? Now, remember, God, we just went on an uncharted journey. <laughs> so um, unless we hear otherwise, we're just going to assume we're good for now because you just want us to chill, and we just both laugh because that's the natural tendency, isn't it? Just say, oh, no, please, please, no, I, I, I don't want any more uncharted journeys. Because we really can 
um, believe two storylines about this uncharted journey. And one is that it's just completely futile. There's no purpose in it, right? And the other is, is that it's actually gonna be really fruitful no matter how hard it might be. And in fact, if you played those two storylines out and you looked at this word uncharted and you said, well, let's just say this is an acronym for it. Well, the futile storyline goes a little bit like this. Unnecessary, unsure, uncertain, completely helpless, anxiety-ridden, total epic disaster. <laughs> you know, we can believe that. Or if we believe that God's in it and it's fruitful, we look at this and we go, well, yeah, it's, it's unpredictable. But it is catalytic and it's hope-filled and there's a sense of adventure to it. It's redemptive because God is in it. Now it's tender because it could be painful. It could hurt along the way, but it is eternal. And dang, <laughs> dang, God, why do I keep second guessing you all this time? I always go, yeah, God, you're always faithful. But this time, if you could just show me just a little bit more, that'd be really helpful. Dang, God, you got street cred with me. Dang, God. My hindsight has always been your foresight. Dang God, what felt uncharted, you've always held to the course. And what's the difference between the two things? What's the difference between total epic disaster and God, you're in this and it's gonna be fruitful? Well, we find it right here in the scriptures. We're looking in this series, Uncharted, at Hebrews chapter 11, which is considered the Hall of Faith chapter, looking at, the, there are 16 different people from the Bible, from history, that have gone on this uncharted path. We're only looking, really, at four of them. Out of the 16, two of them are women, and today we're going to look at one such person named Sarah. But right out of the gate, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, what's the difference between going, this is going to be futile, or this is going to be fruitful? It's faith. Now, faith, verse 1, grab your Bibles, grab your West Side apps. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the difference. That's what bridges the difference between the two. We're confident for what we hope for is on the other side, and we're convicted about what we do not see, but we're just going to keep walking in it. And actually, that's what Sarah did. It says here in verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So even Sarah, way past the age of being able to bear children, she considers him, namely God, faithful who had given the promise. Now, what's the promise? Now, what Hebrews 11 is like, it's a little bit like watching Marvel Comics Endgame, where there's all of these characters and they're all, you know, doing awesome stuff, but you don't know the backstory. You don't know that there's a canon behind for, and a storyline for each one of these people. So what's the story for Sarah? What's behind all of this? What's her backstory? Well, the backstory is that she was married to Abraham. We looked at him last week. And Abraham was re received this promise. What was the promise? In essence, Everything that went haywire in the garden, God is going to make good on. He's going to redeem for all time. 
And it's going to happen through Abraham, his loins, his seed, and through he and Sarah, and through their kids, and their kids, 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 that God is going to make good on everything through these two people. That is the promise. And there's a problem. The problem is, is that day after day, month after month, year after year, cycle after cycle, Decade after decade, to the point where the scriptures say their bodies were as good as dead, they were unable to have a child to fulfill this promise. Now, can you imagine the pressure? This God sized, eternally redemptive dream being bottlenecked in Sarah's womb that in her barrenness, she is the bottleneck to God's purposes. The truth is, is that a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? The pain of infertility runs so deep, it's so quiet, that pain. It's so invisible, that pain. And the pain that is carried in that place is, in my barrenness, I'm the bottleneck to my own dreams, to the dream of my spouse, to my parents and my in-laws' dreams, to well-wishers and well-intended friends who want to know why, why still don't, haven't we had kids. All those things we just carry right here. And I just want to tell you right out of the gate, if this is your particular uncharted journey, I just, I just want you to know a few things. One is that today this message, this service is not a message of, you know, you know cheer up, <laughs> you know, buck up camper. It's not about being victorious in the Lord. We're not gonna tell you that if you just had more faith, you would have a child. And we're certainly not gonna tell you that it's by your lack of faith that you don't have a child. And we're not gonna tell you that while we passionately believe in foster care and in adoption, we're not gonna tell you, well, why don't you just adopt? Or just don't stress so much and your body will relax. We're not gonna tell you those things. You've heard that before. And we know where it lands. We also know that the pain of this journey isn't just about infertility. It's about your whole journey and all of you in it. And so our commitment to you here in this moment is simply that we wanna talk about whatever the fruit is God is after in your life and journey, regardless of what that means of having a baby or not having a baby. We wanna talk about what does it look like for Jesus to meet us in all the places and spaces of the journey that we're on, no matter what that journey is. And you know what's so confusing about it? What's so confusing about the uncharted journey, whether it's fruitful or futile, the circumstances actually look the same. I mean, the circumstances are, it's a, it's a mess. It's not like linear. It's not sequential. You can't put the uncharted journey into a Gantt chart. 
It's not uh, an EOS system that you can just manage. You can't project manage your way through the uncharted journey because there's all sorts of roadblocks. There's all sorts of two steps forward and, and three back and, and you, people and things and disruptions and roadblocks and things feel kind of upside down and sideways and, and you just don't know what to do and, and you're, you're angry at people and you wish that you had some form of recourse, but you don't. And you're left to just walk through this journey. The circumstances looking the same, struggling like Sarah to say, is this gonna be fruitful? Or is just, this just a painful, futile waste of time? And when you walk through it, so many other parts of your life come to the surface in it. That was true for Sarah. See, the pain for Sarah wasn't just infertility, though that was painful. Number one, Sarah was uprooted. What was a promise to Abraham was made only to Abraham. But if you look at Genesis chapter 12... What we'll see is that Sarah wasn't there for that promise. What we'll see is that this promise of you're going to become a great nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, that happened to Abraham. And so Abraham comes back and as best we can see, presumably, he just comes to Sarah and says, pack up. We're leaving all you've ever known, all you've ever cared about, all you've ever had. And what would have been culturally appropriate in that day would have been not to have processed with his wife, but just to have told her, here's what we're doing. We're going to a land. Well, where are we going? Well, apparently God's going to show us. And she didn't have any voice in the matter. She was uprooted. Do you think that would unpack your journey? Do you think that would impact your journey? Do you think you'd carry that down in the deep parts of your soul of having everything taken from you? I think we would. Another part of her journey is that she was abandoned. Just a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 12, they're going to now have to meander in, in and out through different territories under the provinces of different kings. They end up in Egypt, and Abraham knows that he has a beautiful wife on his hands, and what if the Pharaoh has his eye drawn to her? What's he going to do? He's going to go for her and take out him. That's just the way it goes. So what does Abraham do? He comes up with a, a little scheme. And he comes to Sarah, his wife, and he says, hey, on the technicality, we're actually half siblings. So if anyone asks, I'm your brother. And he literally says it this way. I, I, I hate how this comes out. Verse 13, chapter 12, he says to his wife, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. At least the way that translates, a little bit self-serving and kind of wimpy, if you ask me. So now Sarah is feeling not only uprooted, but she's feeling abandoned and it happens twice. 
They go into a different land under King Abimelech, and he does it again. Twice she's abandoned, unprotected by the man that she was betrothed to. Do you think that would get you down deep in your heart and soul? And then we see that Sarah's just hurt. And in her hurt, she does what you and I do when we're hurt. We blame, we try to take control, take things back into our own hands. And there's something in us that wants others to hurt if we're hurt as well. And so look with me here, what Sarah does. Genesis chapter 16. She goes to Abraham, she goes, this whole promise thing's not working out, so let's take matters into our own hands. You take my maidservant, Hagar, and sleep with her. And Abraham says, okay. And then... And then uh, it works, apparently immediately, which only causes the pain to be worse. And so we look in chapter 16, verse 4, when she knew she was pregnant, she, Sarah, began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, or Abraham, you are responsible. See the blaming? You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham says, your slave is in your hands. This is just not shining moments for Abraham. Do with her whatever you think best. Very conflict avoidant. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Do you know the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. That's what's happening here. She's lashing out. She's trying to take things back into control. She's blaming. She wants others to hurt while she hurts. And we get this, don't we? I mean, the image really is her just going, oh, no, 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 no. This is not, this is not how the journey is going to work. This is not how it's going to look like. Nope, nope, nope. In fact, we're going to, we're going to order this right back up. So you go there, right? And then you come here, right? And uh, we don't even need this. But if you come right over here, then I'm going to put you right there. And then I, I need you to kind of, kind of do right here, okay? And then you're going to come and do that. Now, what we're going to do is we're just going to order this one around, okay? And you're going to, you're going to uh, be there. And then I need you here, Right, and and let's just go ahead, and uh, and now I think this feels much better. And we've spelled a really interesting word. <laughs> kind of looks like a word in Russian, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's what we do. We try to take matters in our own hands. We blame. We want others to hurt because we hurt. And when you get to that place in your journey, there's not much more that you can do but, but laugh. And that's what Sarah did. And there's this really fascinating moment as we go a little further in Genesis chapter 18 where three what appears to be angelic visitors visit. Uh, and they, they come up to Abraham. They're sitting on the, under the great trees of Mamre. And they're having this conversation. And Sarah is eavesdropping inside the tent. And here's how it goes. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I, I-, I did not laugh. But God said, yes, you did. This is such a fascinating moment. They appear to be three angelic visitors, then it switches to uh, the Lord speaking. And so if you don't like mystery, don't read the Bible, okay? Because it's a very fascinating moment in Sarah's life where inside the tent, she is laughing alone. In an article from Scientific American, they say this, that solitary laughter, well, laughter has many um, health benefits. When we laugh alone, it can be ominous. And again, so many of us know that kind of laugh. When you don't know what else to do, when your tears have all dried up. And truthfully, it's been 14 years since I've known that laugh, since my wife and I suffered a miscarriage and what then felt like an eternity of infertility, but now looking back, I'm so much further distant from it. And so I began to think as I was reading this passage, who knows this laugh here and now? And I thought of a friend named Becca. Becca used to be on staff here. She was called another great church in our city recently. But I just had this snippet. I just had a very faint glimpse that for her and her husband, Andrew, they know this pain, this uncharted journey. They know what that laugh feels like. So I called her up, and one of the things that she shared with me was this description of what it's like to walk on this journey. You know what she called it? She called it a dead space, a dead space, where you just don't know what's going on in between here to there. And you don't know, she says, who to blame, but there's just this, this gap, and you're, you're standing in the howling, wide-open spaces, as any Annie Dillard would describe it, in the dead space wondering about your living God. And as I listened to Becca, I just got more and more clear, this isn't just for me to incorporate in my sermon, to share her story, but actually there is an authority that comes from somebody who is in this space. And if they're courageous enough to talk about it, and if the Lord has met them in the midst of it, then they really have something to offer you and me. And Becca does. And I want to just call you here in this moment. I want you just to sit with your uncharted journey. It may not be infertility, but it's something. And as you listen to Becca speaking on behalf of her and her husband, Andrew, I want you to see, hear, and experience how does God meet us in the dead spaces. And so I'm really grateful for Becca's courage to sit down with me and share this story. Let's watch. Well, my name is Becca Alward, and uh, our journey started in 2019. I got married in 2018 and uh, started trying for our first child 
got pregnant in March of 2019, and um, we were so excited. About June, we go in for our first ultrasound, and uh, it was about the 14-week mark, and uh, the doctor was kind of looking at us like, hey, let's go ahead and do like a little bit more of a deeper ultrasound, and um, so we got sent down to the emergency room, and uh, the ultrasound tech looked at us and said, I'm so sorry, we can't detect a heartbeat. I remember looking at Andrew, and he looked back at me, and then his head just went down, and it just went silent. And that's kind of where the nightmare of infertility began for us. I didn't really have any clue that like miscarriages were even a thing. You know, I kind of heard about it, but I never thought it would be me. I never thought it would be our story. I remember going home and uh, I lifted my hands up in prayer and I said, God, what in the world just happened to me? And, uh, and for the next eight months, it was kind of this weird moment where we were hoping, we were trying, and nothing was really happening. About $30,000 in, what really happened was at that point, it wasn't just one miscarriage, but at the end of the IVF process, we'd end up losing six babies in total. And for me, I, I don't even think I can really describe that pain. It's kind of like having an, an open wound with salt being poured on it every single month. Um, every fertility treatment that didn't work, every time you think it was gonna work and then you knew it worked, but then you would lose it. I just felt like I was getting gifts and then they were ripped away from me. It just felt like a dead space. You know, like I, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand why it was happening to me. I didn't know if I was to blame. I didn't know if the doctor was to blame. I just, it, you know, I just felt like God was just kind of silent in the whole thing too. It was just such uncharted territory for me that it kind of felt like I was in the bottom of a pit. I didn't have a ladder to get out. I didn't know when someone was gonna come and rescue this thing. And so I'm just stuck. And like a dead space just feels like you're stuck. It was Mother's Day. And it was the day that I was gonna find out if one of the fertility treatments had worked or not. So it's gonna be positive or negative. I knew I had to come to the church and work on a Sunday morning. And I remember I found out it was negative and I just collapsed in the wash and dryer room. <laughs> and, um, and I said, Andrew, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And, um, and I remember Andrew saying, I don't feel like I can do this anymore. He said, Becca, I'm trying to support you and I just don't know how. He said, I wish I knew how to make this better, but I can't. And it's killing me that I can't take this burden from you. And the guy's journey in this is, I mean, they're watching their wives struggle in, in ways that they didn't even know was possible. I remember one time, I, I remember praying, uh, God, why are you being so cruel to me? I've lo I loved you. I've, I've given my whole life to you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Why are you withholding this gift from me? 
It's not that I didn't know that God was good. I know God's good. But how was he going to be good in this? Like, I know God's faithful. But how is he going to prove his faithfulness in this? Like, I, I remember thinking, you know, am I stupid enough to even hope again? <laughs> to even dare to believe? And I think that Sarah was just in a point where, you know, she knew she was past her years. She knew that this thing was probably over. And then someone just speaks those words. And I can almost feel the wrestle, like the tension of like, do I even try to hope one more time? Like, do I dare believe that this thing isn't over yet? And I think the laugh is like, it's almost like an exhale of years of built up exhaustion coming out as a, well, all right, let's see if it happens. And I think in that dead space, you have one of two decisions to make. You can either run away from God in that dead space, or you can run to God in that dead space. And I remember thinking, God, come hell or high water, we're gonna get through this thing. This is the most painful thing that I'm ever gonna go through in my life. Become hell or high water, I'm not leaving this thing without you. You're gonna get me through it. I'm gonna trust that you're the God who says you're faithful and the God who says he loves me and the God who says he's for me and that he's gonna prosper this thing forward. And that's what I decided to do with the dead space. I think what God has been doing inside of me is teaching me about physical, emotional, and spiritual health altogether. There are places and spaces that God wanted me to get to, and I couldn't get there because my body was unhealthy. And this season has taught me that I need to be healthy, not just spiritually, not just emotionally, not just physically, but I need to be healthy in all three of those things. And if I'm not, it's really hard to do what God has asked you to do. His plan is just a lot different than I thought it is. And the act of surrendering what you think your life should look like, it's really hard to do that. And it's kind of like a, do I really want to let go? Do I really? And then when you do, there's like this peace that comes over you that I, I don't know if I can really explain outside of, it felt like a thousand pounds fall up, fell off my shoulder. But I feel like this season, he, he stripped me of a lot of things that were holding me back that I didn't think were holding me back. Like he used this season to refine me in ways that I didn't know I needed to be refined in. And the hope is that if we've ever had loss in this life, it's gonna be restored to us if we're a believer. I mean, I love Jesus, and he's enough for me to say yes to him and eternal life, but getting to meet my six babies in heaven one day, I mean, there's, there's so much hope in that. I may not ever get this thing redeemed down here, and if it never gets redeemed, which I believe it will, but even if it doesn't, there's still hope that there's six babies that I'm gonna meet one day. And that reunion is gonna be incredible. It's gonna be worth all the pain and all the suffering on this life. I mean, that's hope for one day, but there's hope for today that 
um, God's not done writing my story. And I know he's a redemptive God. There's not one thing that's not gonna be redeemed. And there's hope that um, God is always for me. He's always working in me and through me. And there's an upper story that I may not understand yet, but it's gonna be revealed. And when it's revealed, it's gonna bring me into a place where um, it was worth it the entire time. There's a hope that in the middle of everything, God has still been enough. Like he still satisfies me, even though I don't have children yet. Like He still satisfies me completely. When the presence of God touches me in prayer, when the presence of God surrounds me, when I'm crying, when the presence of God is, is right in the middle, when Andrew's just holding me, um, I can have hope in Jesus because there's just a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not from this earth. And it comes and it overwhelms me. And, and it's just like that reminder that God is enough. Like, I believe I'll be blessed one day. But even if I never see that blessing on, the, on this side of heaven, he's still enough for me. And that's the ultimate hope. 